the smoking gun is already reloaded. And whether or not it gets fired, that's up to us. Okay. I say let's fire him. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, way out in Maui, Hawaii on AA 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets for you on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, thanks Nicole, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for what is, surprise, surprise, turning out to be another crazy, busy news day for a change. Uh, but I do have some business to take care of here first, since my hands have been uh, pretty much tied over the last three days, not of my own choosing. Uh, so my huge thanks to the great Nicole Sandler for not only covering for us in a pinch over these past three days here, but even doing so while she was recovering from the flu and wrestling with a new buggy computer and doing her own show each day along with guest hosting for us. Um, and as I believe she mentioned, there was it was unavoidable maintenance noise here, constant chainsaws basically outside of uh, my apartment home studio where we are this week while our radio station here in L.A., uh, KPFK, is on fun drive. So we had nowhere to turn, Desi Doyen. I know, and thank God for Nicole. Thank God, and uh, once again, she saved us. So uh, thankfully, of course, it was once again a very slow news week, so I'm sure it was really <laughs> easy for her to take care of it all. But, you know, we just did not want to leave you with reruns on a news week like this. So if you'd like to help us afford to pay Nicole for her fantastic guest hosting efforts, we welcome your support as ever at bradblog.com slash donate for, yes, this listener supported program that tells you the truth with real news and actual verifiable facts that you need to know, unlike well, at least half of the nonsense we heard in uh, the U.S. House Judiciary Committee today. I'll get to that in a second. And uh, Desi Doyen. Hi, Des. Hello. Uh, so uh, I sort of owe you an apology. 
Okay. Sort of. <laughs> in our last uh, Green News report, I think it was, I, I made a, a, a bit of gentle fun uh, uh, of you for being so obsessed with teen climate activist Greta Thunberg in your GNRs. And of course, I would say I am not obsessed with her. I am simply reporting on what she has been doing. Yeah, you're obsessed with her. But apparently, you're not the only <laughs> one. Uh, apparently, Time Magazine agrees with you, as they have now named her Person of the Year, uh, based largely, I think, on your obsession with her, Des. <laughs> anyway, that's some of the good news to balance most of the bad news in our latest Green News report coming up a little bit later. So you can look forward to that. Also, a little bit more good news coming up in a bit regarding our elections, which now begin for the 2020 presidential uh, race in in weeks, not months, weeks at this point. Uh, in case you haven't been paying attention, even as impeachment proceedings continue very quickly against Donald John Trump in Congress again today. But even as that happens, Nancy Pelosi and her House Democrats continue to seemingly want to make Donald Trump's reelection easier for him for some reason. I don't understand. In addition to making a new deal on a, uh, a NAFTA agreement this week called the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, or USMCA, as Nicole discussed this week, and then only introducing two articles of impeachment against Donald Trump, where there could have been and arguably should have been a minimum of, oh, I don't know, four at a minimum, and frankly, an uncountable number of articles more than that, on Wednesday night this week, the U.S. House passed approval for Donald Trump's dumb new Space Force idea as a sixth military branch, because Lord knows we need more of those, and especially in space. And along with it, however, a bipartisan plan for paid parental leave for federal workers, which I, I'll be happy to see, but handing Trump yet another couple of Things to run on next year, Dems seem to really, you know, they, they seem ready to really work hard this year to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory yet again, because, well, if they excel at anything, that seems to be it. The House on Wednesday passed a $738 billion military policy bill authorizing the creation of the Space Force, championed by President Trump as the sixth branch of the military, and secure paid parental leave for more than two million federal workers, according to The New York Times. The 377 to 48 vote reflected broad bipartisan support for the compromise package, one of the nation's most expensive military policy bills to date. But, you know, keep in mind, we can't afford to fix our roads, our bridges, improve our schools or give you health care or do anything about our climate crisis. But a military force in space. No problem, apparently, especially since we already have a space force, the Air Force Space Command. So here we are again with Republicans expanding government. As they do every Are time they're Are you saying they're, they're not quite conservative after all? Not in the least. The measure passed over the opposition of a block of progressive Democrats and libertarian-minded Republicans who objected to its steep price tag and its omission of provisions that had uh, that they had proposed to limit the president's power on, a, on an array of military issues. 
Most House Republicans, however, threw their support behind the measure, joining with Democrats to ensure its passage. It was part of a year-end burst of bipartisan legislating that has broken out this week, even as the Democratic-led House moves towards impeaching Donald Trump. Now, in July... The House actually passed a version of this bill that actually reined in Trump's authority on a bunch of policies, but Republicans opposed that version of the bill. So there was a, uh, a compromise, uh, a bunch of haggling behind the uh, behind the scenes on this, where they had to reconcile the House bill with a far less confrontational version that passed in the Republican-controlled Senate because this is a must-pass bill. They have to pass this funding before the end of the year. And so uh, basically, this is what the Democrats gave up. Democrat uh, Democratic negotiators conceded on a bunch of hot button issues here because, you know, conceding is also what Democrats excel at, apparently. Representative Andy Kim, a freshman Democrat who represents a New Jersey district that voted for Donald Trump in 2016, however, said this is exactly what the American people have been demanding of government, that we can actually move forward on legislating, on governing to show that we are adults, that we are able to get things done on issues of national security, even in a time of divided government. Now, of course, that district that voted for Andy Kim and those voters who voted for Donald Trump I don't know if they're going to be voting for him because of this, but that seems to be his argument. Some liberals, however, are furious about it. It does not authorize any money to replenish military construction funds that Trump had diverted to pay for his wall on the southern border. It also does not contain a measure backed by Democrats to prevent him from raiding the fund in the future. Stronger language that would have forced the cleanup of a dangerous class of chemicals known as, uh, is it PFAS? PFAS. That was dropped out of this bill. And the final version also tossed several other provisions passed by House Democrats uh, to ban new detainees from being placed at the military detention facility in Gitmo to prohibit the sale of certain types of munitions to Saudi Arabia, to require Trump to seek congressional approval before taking any military action against Iran. All of that was removed from the uh, measure that House Democrats uh, joined with Republicans to release on Wednesday. Uh, Leaders of the uh, Democratic Party in the House Trumpeted the bill for what it did for what it did contain. They cite the White House approved measure that would extend 12 weeks of paid parental leave to civilian federal employees, a three percent pay raise for troops and the end to a Defense Department policy known as the widow's tax, which prevents the surviving family members of military personnel from receiving their full benefits. Congressman Adam Smith, a Democrat of Washington and the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, called it the most progressive defense bill we have passed in decades, which, of course, is not saying all that much. It's a very low bar. It is. And Senator uh, Kevin Kramer, a Republican from North Dakota, close ally of Trump's and a big backer, apparently, of Space Force, said, quote, at the end of the day, the president gets two victories citing both Space Force and paid parental leave, even though that was something the Democrats were in favor of. This had been a pet project of Ivanka Trump for some time. So they just handed 
Two more things for Donald Trump to crow about on the uh, campaign circuit in the coming weeks and months. Good work, Democrats. Trump saw this, uh, as New York Times reports this, he appeared to regard the deal with a measure of amazement. He said, quote, wow, all of our priorities have made it into the final NDAA on Twitter. That's the uh, National Defense Authorization Act. Congressman Ro Khanna of California, who uh, led a series of amendments seeking to cur- curtail this, uh, the president's war powers on Iran and Saudi Arabia, called the omission of those measures from the final version, quote, astonishing moral cowardice. I guess he's talking about astonishing moral cowardice of his own party. Uh, that was in a joint statement with Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont. I suspect you have heard of him. So uh, there's some news. There's what uh, Democrats are doing not in the impeachment realm. But speaking of more pleasant things like the debate on two articles of impeachment against Donald Trump, those continued toward inevitable passage on Thursday in the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. They will then go to the uh, full U.S. House for a vote next week. But the debate on Thursday followed opening statements on Wednesday night that were issued by each member of the committee during an unusual primetime evening session on uh, on Wednesday night. All members except for Ted Lieu, by the way, who was uh, in the hospital with chest pains. He got a stent. He's you got a procedure. Right. So it was 40 people, 40 members who got to 40 li- deliver instead of 41. Uh, but I just want to say we wish our best to Congressman Lou. He's Absolutely. been a guest on this show and he's been uh, very good on accountability for Trump and on climate change for a long time. So hope he's doing well. So there was a lot of good speechifying on the Democratic side on Wednesday night and again on Thursday and a whole lot of denial, fantasy and frankly blatant lies. You'll be shocked to learn on the Republican side. Democratic Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee laid out nicely why this accountability for the president on two articles of impeachment, one on obstruction of Congress and one on abuse of power, uh, why this accountability, whether he is removed from office or not after a trial in the Senate, is so important because it is, as always, about elections. Our Constitution embodies our values and laws and invests the power of our government and the authority of the people expressed through free and fair elections. When President Trump, for his own personal political gain, asked for a favor from a foreign leader, he did exactly what our founding fathers feared most. He invited the influence of a foreign power into our elections. This is one of the primary reasons the founders placed impeachment in our Constitution. Last week, Professor Carlin summed up his wrongdoing well when she stated, quote, when President Trump invited, indeed demanded, foreign involvement in our upcoming election, he struck at the very heart of what makes this country the republic to which we pledge allegiance. That demand constituted an abuse of power. She continued on. Drawing a foreign government into our election process is an especially serious abuse of power because it undermines democracy itself. It's as if our founders could see into 2019, and when they did, they saw Donald Trump corrupting our democracy by saying to President Zelensky of Ukraine, I'd like you to do us a favor, though. President Trump's subversive and illegal action in seeking foreign interference are an affrontery to our Constitution and to free and fair elections. They are an affront to our founders. 
They are an affront to the suffragists who fought for women's voting rights. They are an affront to the memory of Medgar Evers, a civil rights leader assassinated in Jackson, Mississippi. They are an affront to the memories of Andrew Goodman, James Cheney, and Michael Schwerner, civil rights workers murdered in Philadelphia, Mississippi during the Freedom Summer of 64 while registering African Americans to vote. They are an affront to the memory of Viola Liuzzo, a mother of five who was murdered by the Ku Klux Klan while she was in Alabama to participate in the Selma to Montgomery March. And they're an affront to the memory of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. who championed the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And they're an affront to every service member who has ever fought to defend our nation and our system of self-government, which is based upon free and fair elections. President Trump's attempt to subvert our election was an attack on America. The president got caught when the whistleblower expressed, exposed the president's scheme. Then the president sought to cover up the scheme. He stonewalled Congress as we pursued our investigation. He instructed his staff, cabinet, and other federal officials to do the same. Previous presidents facing impeachment, even President Nixon, cooperated with Congress. But President Trump has thumbed his nose at constitutional power, and he refused to appear to defend himself. Congress is a co-equal branch of government and was foremost to the founders' minds. They placed Congress first in Article I of the Constitution. President Trump's obstruction of Congress is an affront to Peter Rodino, who chaired this committee in the summer of 74 when Congress investigated Nixon's betrayal of his oath of office. It's also an affront to the memory of Representative Barbara Jordan, who as a member of this committee said she would not, quote, be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversion, the destruction of the Constitution. And it's an affront to the memory of Congressman Elijah Cummings, who knew we were better than this. And it's an affront to the many patriots who love this country enough to defy the president's tyrannical attempt to prohibit their testimony, including Ambassador Yovanovitch, Ambassador Taylor, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, and Dr. Fiona Hill. And further, it's an affront to the memory of Caldwell Butler, a principled Republican of the Judiciary Committee in 1974. He did not support impeachment before the hearings, but he listened to the evidence, and that convinced him. He announced he would vote for impeachment by saying, for years, we Republicans have campaigned against corruption and misconduct, but Watergate is our shame. His sense of right and wrong was inviolate. When his mother warned him that his future would go, quote, down the drain, unquote, he responded, dear mother, you are probably right. However, I feel that my loyalty to the Republican Party does not relieve me of the obligation that I have. His mother was wrong. Representative Butler served for another decade. And President Trump's obstruction of Congress is an affront to the citizens of my district, all members of Congress, and all Americans who support free and fair elections. We, the People's House, have a duty to uphold our oath of office and to be a check on a president who abuses his power, betrays his oath, and corrupts our elections. Those who want to turn a blind eye to President Trump corrupting our democracy will try to get us to look away. We should not look away. I will not look away. I will remember our Founders' great plan for our great nation, and I will remember the rule of law. Above all, I will adhere to my oath of office. I yield back the balance of my time. Wow. And uh, we will not look away either. That was Steve Cohen, Democrat from uh, Tennessee in the U.S. House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday night during opening statements. Now, out of an abundance of fairness, not balance, which is BS, but fairness, which is not, I had really hoped 
to play at least one of the GOP opening statements in defense of the president, if only to give you a sense of what their defense was and to explain how it was probably wrong. But in fact, every defense that I heard was a bunch of lies and misrepresentations of independently verifiable facts. And at least today, frankly, I don't feel like giving up my access to the public airwaves to, to air that. You don't feel like promoting misinformation and disinformation no, I on don't. the public airwaves? No, because you know what? Even, well, even when you uh, play it and debunk it, which is frankly helpful to, to many to help them understand how to respond to the nonsense, you're still underscoring the nonsense. And maybe we'll do that. Maybe as all of this goes on and we get to the floor of the full House debate uh, or the Senate trial, which both seem inevitable at this point, maybe we'll do that. But today, I don't feel like it. Uh, you know, had they said, yes, the president did do what he is being accused of. He withheld money from Ukraine to help his chances of uh, reelection in 2020, money that was uh, allocated by Congress, a bipartisan vote, but that that is his right. And here is why. Well, I might have shared that. Had they argued that, you know, he didn't do it, uh, what he so clearly did, according to witness after witness from his own top appointed officials and even to the, uh, you know, to the actual his actual notes from the uh, July 25 call to Ukrainian President Zelensky, I might have shared that. But I'm frankly, I'm just not in the mood to be a propaganda wing of the once great, now utterly embarrassing and anti-American and anti-Constitution and anti-conservative values Republican Party. Sorry, not today. I don't feel like it, though I do hope to share some comments if I have time from the American conservative magazine with you shortly, because, well, that would only be fair. Just by way of one example here, before I move on, here is about 20 seconds from uh, Republican liar Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado. How will history judge this impeachment? I believe the American people will remember this impeachment effort unkindly. Instead, remembering Democrats have been resisting and looking for an excuse to impeach this president since the day he was elected. A frivolous lawsuit was filed claiming voting machines were rigged in three states. Okay, all right. See, he caught my attention, didn't he? Uh, he did. <laughs> okay. Congressman Buck, for one, uh, presuming you're talking about the lawsuit that was filed by Jill Stein, she is not a Democrat. She is a Green Party member. She was the uh, Green Party nominee for president back in 2016. She did not file a lawsuit claiming that votes were rigged in any state. Now, maybe there's another lawsuit I don't know about that claimed uh, the, the election was rigged in all three states. Instead, what she did was uh, file for hand counts, recounts, and where there was nothing to count, for example, in many locations in Pennsylvania where they do not have hand-marked paper ballots but unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, she was seeking an investigation of those systems to make sure that they uh, did not fail in some way, that they were not hacked in some way. She did not claim that elections in either of those three states were rigged and she wasn't she isn't a Democrat. So for Ken Buck to just lie like that, well, frankly, it's emblematic of what all of these Congress uh, Republican men and women yes. did on the Republican side on both Wednesday night and Thursday. So let's just give you an example. They just make stuff up. They just blatantly lie about stuff.
Now, as but as noted, there was a lot of airworthy speeches from Democrats, and uh, frankly, it's difficult to choose between uh, a lot of them that were very good. But let me share another piece uh, from Washington State Democratic Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Wednesday night. I thought it was particularly good. The facts are clear. Donald Trump abused the power of the office of the presidency to pursue his own personal political gain and leveraged critically needed congressionally approved military aid to coerce a fragile foreign ally to interfere in our elections. This is not hearsay. The president was the first and best witness in this case. The president admitted to his wrongdoing and corrupt intent on national television. The president is the smoking gun. His obstruction of Congress and blanket directive to deny us even a single witness, a single document, is unprecedented. And yet, in spite of that obstruction, multiple patriots came forward and provided damning corroborating testimony. Understand the seriousness of what this means. President Trump has solicited foreign interference before. He is doing it now, and he will do it again. The smoking gun is already reloaded. And whether or not it gets fired, that's up to us. Pramila Jayapal of Washington uh, with, well, a smoking hot speech, frankly, there uh, on Wednesday night in the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. Yes, and she it's something that was echoed by most of the Democrats. In fact, I would say all of the Democrats is just repeatedly, methodically laying out the facts, which they have to do, unfortunately, because Republicans keep claiming things that are completely false. That are just not true. It's not that I don't agree with them. It is just that they are false. They are lies. On Thursday, as the committee began to debate the two actual articles of impeachment and as the national gaslighting by the Republicans on the committee continued with claims that the president committed no crimes, he did nothing wrong, that it is Democrats, in fact, who are abusing power which Republicans also argued is is not actually a high crime or misdemeanor. So they need to get their story straight. They have a problem with Democrats abusing the power, and yet they say that's not a high crime or misdemeanor. Not a crime at all, in fact. When uh, De- Texas Democratic uh, Congresswoman uh, Veronica Escobar offered this helpful analogy on all of this. I want to break this down in simple terms for the American public because our Republican colleagues are working overtime to try to convince us that we didn't see what we saw with our own eyes and we didn't hear what we heard with our own ears. Let's bring it down to an example that was used during the hearing. If a governor, if if a community suffers a natural disaster and the governor of the state has aid that will help that community, but calls the mayor of your community and says, I want you to do me a favor though. And conditions with with giving the aid to the community on the police chief smearing his political opponent, has there been a crime? The answer is yes. And that governor would go to jail. If that governor later releases the aid after he got caught, it doesn't matter. He still committed the crime. 
Furthermore, if that governor says during the investigation, I'm going to defy the subpoenas, we're going to fight the subpoenas, guess what would happen to that governor? He's committed a crime. He would go to jail. If the governor then tried to cover up his wrongdoing, cover it up so that his people, his constituents, couldn't see his wrongdoing, what would happen to that governor? Did he commit a crime? Yes, he would go to jail. So as wildly as they're trying to convince you that there was no wrongdoing, I want the American public to understand what is going on here. It's clear as day. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've heard it with our own ears. Facts matter. I yield back. Yes, facts matter. That was Veronica Escobar, Congresswoman from uh, Texas, uh, representing a border district down there in El Paso. It is. It is clear as day. And yet the uh, the debate overall, this continues even at this hour. It will continue for the next uh, days and weeks. It will continue into a trial in the U.S. Senate. And we will continue to cover it as best as we can. As noted, we also learned uh, through various GOP statements on Wednesday and on Thursday that abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, these are the two articles with which Donald Trump is being charged, are, quote, made up crimes. They are not really crimes at all. The Republicans have been telling us over the past 24 hours. Donald Trump claimed the same thing during his latest Twitter tantrum on Thursday morning. He said, quote, I did nothing wrong. This will be the first impeachment ever where there was no crime. They don't even allege a crime. Crazy. Later on, he added, no crime. Abuse of power and obstruction of Congress Those are now made up crimes, apparently, according to Republicans. And it's too bad that these Republicans today were not in Congress when articles of impeachment were voted on by this same committee, the House Judiciary Committee, back in 1974 against Republican Richard Nixon. Back then, there were three articles, not two, but three that were approved by the House Judiciary. One for, yes, abuse of power. Another was for, yes, contempt of Congress, just like today. And also a third for contempt of justice, which uh, obstruction of justice, I'm sorry, which uh, Democrats should have also put forward here in response to Trump's clear, repeated and well-documented obstruction of the uh, Robert Mueller uh, special counsel investigation. But as you know, Conceding is what Democrats do. So all three articles in Nixon's case were approved with bipartisan votes. But today, to the Republican Party, interestingly enough, abuse of Congress, uh, I'm sorry, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress are no longer even crimes at all, much less high crimes and misdemeanors as they were during the impeachment of Richard Nixon, which Uh, Before they were even voted on by the full House, just passing them in the uh, House Judiciary Committee, that was enough to result in Nixon's resignation. And all, apparently, for things that aren't even crimes at all. They're all made up crimes. Uh, 
According to the GOP. Dick Nixon left for no good reason. Fake crimes. He didn't do it. He should have stayed. This is the kind of gaslighting that has been going on in the hearings from Republicans throughout this entire thing. So it's very frustrating to hear them lie repeatedly in the people's house. We have uh, spoken on this show about how, uh, well, the newspapers around the country are not... You know, back during the Clinton uh, impeachment, long before the impeachment, you had newspapers all over the country that were calling on Bill Clinton to step down, that they he must leave office because what he did was so atrocious, he must resign. Well, we have not seen anything like that from the newspapers around the country under the Trump administration, despite all manner of things that are clearly indicative that this guy should resign, should leave office, and of course should be impeached. Well, now, finally, after three years, some of the major newspapers are finally coming out and calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump. You know, kind of late, but oh well, now that he's actually being impeached, now they're in favor of impeaching the president. Very courageous. The editorial boards at the not particularly liberal Los Angeles Times and the Boston Globe uh, both finally called for Trump's impeachment last week, with the L.A. Times concluding we've seen enough. Trump should be impeached. A number of other papers have backed the Democrats impeachment inquiry, according to CNN's Brian Stelter. Uh, And a couple, like the Connecticut Post, have even called for Trump to step down. Well, very few have actually called for him to step down. That's good. Contrast that to the number calling for Bill Clinton to step down back in 1998, and it's not that good. But uh, uh, Stelter adds, it is a relatively new development to see papers calling for the House to vote for impeachment at all. The Chicago Sun-Times did so last week partly to rebuke its crosstown rival, the Chicago Tribune. The Tribune's editorial board said Trump should be censured, but not impeached. But a mere censure, notes Stelter, would uh, be another gift. An editorial in the Sun-Times argues the president compromised our nation's best interest for pure political self-profit, as baldly as a Chicago alderman holding up a zoning charge, a zoning change in exchange for a bribe. Trump has brought impeachment upon himself. In Boston, the Globe's editorial focused on the findings of the House Intelligence Committee inquiry, stating that Trump's, quote, misconduct is severe enough that Congress should exercise its impeachment power, even with the 2020 election looming. Not only has the president abused his power by trying to extort a foreign country to meddle in U.S. politics, but he has also endangered the integrity of the election itself. And that, of course, at least to me, is the most compelling reason why Democrats need to move forward quickly on this. On the other hand, I would like to see them continue uh, with their investigation. I'd like to see them haul in a lot more witnesses for a lot more of Donald Trump's crimes. But as you know, with the election coming up, uh, beginning in just days then yes, I'll get to in a second. um, I understand the need to take action quickly. The L.A. Times, uh, its editorial board uh, said that they were, quote, reluctant They were a a reluctant convert to the impeachment cause. They said we worried that impeaching Trump on essentially a party line vote would be divisive. 
But they said it is also highly likely that Trump would be, will be, acquitted by the Republican-controlled Senate and that, rightly or wrongly, he would point to that in his re-election campaign as exoneration. Those concerns, however, they write, must yield to the overwhelming evidence that Trump perverted U.S. foreign policy for his own political gain. That sort of misconduct is outrageous and corrosive of democracy. It cannot be ignored by the House and it merits a full trial by the Senate on whether to remove him from office. On Wednesday, the editorial board at another major U.S. paper jumped in, and it's a paper that in 1998 also called for the impeachment of Bill Clinton. That would be USA Today and their editorial board who charged that circumstances requiring Trump's impeachment are, quote, far graver than those surrounding the Clinton matter. Until recently, we believed that impeachment proceedings would be unhealthier for an already polarized nation that simply uh, than simply leaving Trump's fate up to voters next November. But Trump's egregious transgressions and stonewalling have given the House little choice but to press ahead with the most severe sanction at its disposal. They compare it to uh, to Bill Clinton, and they say that uh, what Donald Trump has done is far worse. The president's GOP enablers continue to place power and party ahead of truth and country, they write. Had any Democratic president behaved the way Trump has, paying hush money to a porn star, flattering dictators, spewing an unending stream of falsehoods, There's no doubt congressional Republicans would have tried to run him out of the White House in a New York minute. They say we have a we have had profound disagreements with the president on a host of issues led by his reckless deficits and inattention to climate change, both of which will burden generations to come. Policy differences differences are not, however, grounds for impeachment. Constitutional violations are They note the USA Today editorial board wrote in 1998 that Bill Clinton should be impeached and stand trial, quote, because the charges are too serious and the evidence amassed too compelling to ignore. The same they write today can be said this December about the allegations facing Donald Trump, only much more so. But of course... Donald Trump and his brain-poisoned GOP supporters will almost certainly dismiss all of this As, you know, predictable assaults from the liberal fake news media, because that is what they do. But what about the American conservative magazine founded by Pat Buchanan and on which Fox News Tucker Carlson sits on their board of directors? On Tuesday, American conservative senior editor Daniel Larison wrote in a short op ed headlined The Case for Impeachment is Overwhelming. He said the case for Trump's impeachment seemed quite strong more than two months ago, and the evidence provided to the House's impeachment inquiry has strengthened it further. The president's abuse of power is not in dispute. Well, uh, if that's the case, American conservative, uh, he better let some of those so-called conservatives in Congress know about that. Anyway, Larison writes, it is clear that he used the powers of his office in an attempt to extract a corrupt favor for his personal benefit. And this is precisely the sort of offense that impeachment was designed to keep in check. It does not matter if the attempt succeeded. 
All that matters is that the attempt was made. It is also undeniable that he has sought to impede the investigation into his misconduct. The president has committed the offenses he is accused of committing, and the House should approve both articles of impeachment. The president, they write, does not have a credible line of defense left. That is from the American Conservative magazine. They uh, conclude uh, members of the House have been given a simple test of their fidelity to the Constitution. Are they enablers of presidential abuse of power and corruption, or will they do what their oaths of office require of them and hold a corrupt president in check? Well, I think we may be able to predict the answer to that question, sadly. But I am happy to see the American conservative magazine. They at least are willing to remember what a conservative reading of the U.S. Constitution actually is. At least what used to be described as conservative values in this country by the decidedly non-conservative radical right wingers who now make up pretty much the entirety of the Republican Party. Okay, so. What are we, the people, going to do about it beyond the current impeachment mess? As Pramila Jayapal said, it is up to us. Well, we are going to vote like crazy next year, right? Right? Uh, (laughs) I hope the answer was yes just now. But only here on the broadcast, it seems, are we paying attention to how and if we will be able to do so. On that, for a change, we've got some good news Next on the broadcast, as ballots will be arriving for some New Hampshire voters in just two weeks. Yes, two weeks. And that's where our good news sort of kicks off next. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Yeah, get ready, America. Are you ready? Uh, the Military and Overseas Voter Empowerment Act, or MOVE Act, was signed by President Obama in 2009. It requires that ballots must be sent to military and overseas voters 45 days before Election Day. So that also means that some states will also send out their regular absentee ballots around that same time, since the absentee or vote-by-mail ballots all have to be printed up by then, pretty much. So 45 days before the New Hampshire primary uh, on February 11 is December 28. That is just two weeks from today. The first ballots of the 2020 presidential election will be delivered in just two weeks, to some New Hampshire voters. But before we even have the Iowa caucuses on February 3 or the New Hampshire primary on February 11, voters from more than a dozen states will begin receiving vote-by-mail ballots for the March 3rd Super Tuesday primary. That's before we even get 
to the Iowa caucuses or the New Hampshire primary. Those states uh, on Super Tuesday, March 3, include Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, American Samoa. Voters from those states will begin receiving ballots as of January 18 for the March 3 Super Tuesday primary. So just over one month from today. And we're barely even talking about the presidential election. And worse, a whole bunch of states are still trying to figure out which voting systems they're going to be using next year in 2020. And if their plans to use brand new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens will even work following failures in places like Pennsylvania and Georgia for those new systems in uh, last month, in November, November 5, in the off-year municipal elections when those systems crashed and burned in many locations. Well, one place where things went shockingly well was a jurisdiction that decided to use a new hand-marked paper ballot system. Touchscreens are out and paper ballots are in after St. Louis County, that's my old home county and the largest county in the state of Missouri, upgraded its voting equipment ahead of the 2020 elections, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. How did they upgrade it? Well, they got rid of their unverifiable touchscreen systems and went to an all handmarked paper ballot system. And so far, apparently so good. It worked great. In the county's recent special election, the first tryout for the system, the county election board signed a $6.9 million contract with Hart InterCivic in September to replace its old voting system. And the new system prints paper ballots on demand at polling places. According to Eric Fay, the board's Democratic elections director, the price tag was $3 million lower than the competing touchscreen-based systems, he said. The uh, polling places will also have an assistive device for use by voters with disabilities. That would likely be some form of touchscreen system, though just one per polling place, as required by the Federal Help America Vote Act, which decidedly does not require universal use of these touchscreen ballot marking device systems for all voters, as many states and counties are now trying to force on voters including in 2020 battleground states like Georgia, North Carolina, and a number of counties in Pennsylvania, including Philadelphia, and even here in my new home county of Los Angeles, the nation's most populous. So the new print-on-demand system that they're using in St. Louis prints out the proper ballot for the voter's precinct and in the language that they prefer to use. The voter then hand-marks that paper ballot. Simple. So we know that it reflects his or her actual intent. And then the ballot is scanned by an optical scanner, but could also be hand counted in the event that we actually want an accurate tally of results for some reason. Here in L.A., where County Clerk Dean Logan insists a brand new three hundred million dollar unverifiable touchscreen system is needed for 2020. Uh, one of his top arguments is uh, not that he's willing to make him on this show anymore. Uh, but one of his top arguments is that L.A. County has so many different language requirements for ballots, so many different styles, it would be impossible to pre-print enough of the proper ballot styles for the county's voters. Well, this system, print on demand, as I have long argued, would likely take care of that problem. 
It would take care of it in L.A. It would take care of it in a whole bunch of counties and states where they claim that uh, that is an issue. And for a lot less money. And for a lot less money. And in St. Louis, on its first tryout, it worked great, apparently. Simple. Easy. And as Jim Hilberger, one of many Twitter commenters, replied to a tweet of mine about this that went uh, somewhat viral over the past week, uh, he said, some might call this boring, but I love to see more of this boring. Oh, from your tweets to God's ears, Jim. (laughs) Uh, So the new uh, system got its workout on November 5. The St. Louis County Board of Elections Republican Elections Director, they have co-election directors in St. Louis. The Republican Election Director, Rick Stream, said, quote, the equipment worked almost flawlessly at the 30 polling locations we utilized. He said there were minor printer toner issues, but election staff fixed those immediately. With its old system and the county's many municipalities, school districts and tax districts, St. Louis County had to preprint hundreds of unique ballot styles, estimate how many would be needed at each polling place, then deliver them to the correct polling places. And sometimes that process went terribly wrong, as we have reported on this program out of St. Louis in the past, uh, with delivery, delivery mistakes and so forth. Uh, but Faye, the uh, Democratic co-director, said that printing ballots as voters walk in will eliminate the problem. Ta-da! Boring, simple, easy, inexpensive, problem solved. But we can't have that elsewhere, apparently. Am I right? State of Georgia, city of Philadelphia, and county of Los Angeles? What we need is chaos next year, akin to the type that we saw in Georgia and Pennsylvania last month on the same election day where things went smoothly in St. Louis. When failures in in Georgia and Pennsylvania of the new unverifiable touchscreen systems being tried out in those places forced some voters to wait in line for an hour during sparsely attended municipal elections. But, you know, of course, if you have just one printer and one scanner at each polling place rather than dozens of expensive touchscreen computers, how will those poor private voting system vendors continue to fleece American taxpayers by making hundreds of millions on crappy voting systems that don't work and actually prevent us from knowing if our election results are decided as per voter intent in a critical presidential election. Anyway, we'll keep reporting on it uh, because, well, I guess someone's got to. And actually, I'm looking forward to speaking to someone about this very issue on our next thrilling broadcast. But before that, let's take a quick break. And we'll get to the thrilling Desi Doyen and her latest Green News report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. See what happens when you don't let me get on the air for three days? I've got a lot to say and not nearly enough time to say it. Speaking of which, breaking news. 
Uh, all of the uh, wires are reporting that it looks like Boris Johnson, the Conservative Party uh, head in uh, the UK, is going to is on course to win a huge majority in uh, in the UK, meaning that Brexit could happen as soon as January, with the Conservatives having a big victory there, reportedly. A lot of people are reporting it. We'll see if it's true. All right, Desi Doyen, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. The judge said that New York's attorney general had failed to produce any shareholders who would say they were actually misled. The bad news, oil giant Exxon wins climate fraud case in New York. NOAA finds sweeping changes underway in the Arctic. Extreme weather raising the risk of a global food crisis, plus the good news. Well, I'm telling you, there is hope. I have seen it. Teen climate activist named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. All of that good and bad news straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. People are flushing toilets ten times, fifteen times. Ten times? Fifteen times? (laughs) What, are they trying to get rid of a body? (laughs) (laughs) This is your... Green News Report. You can't wash your hands because so little water comes out of the faucet. It takes you much longer to wash your hands. Yes. That's time you could be spending flushing the toilet 15 times. Okay, Desi Doyen, as usual, you're keeping the good news for the end, I guess. Oh, yes. First, the bad news. Okay. A New York State judge this week handed oil giant ExxonMobil a victory in a closely watched civil securities fraud case. The judge ruled that the New York State Attorney General did not prove that Exxon violated state securities law or defrauded shareholders when its public statements differed from its internal accounting, measuring the costs of climate regulations on its business. But there may be a silver lining, the judge wrote, quote, nothing in this opinion is intended to absolve ExxonMobil from responsibility for contributing to climate change through the emission of greenhouse gases in the production of its fossil fuel products. Uh, moreover, there is another case uh, over a similar matter in Massachusetts that is being put forward by the attorney general there. And there are dozens of climate liability lawsuits from cities seeking damages from the fossil fuel industry for causing climate change. So this ain't over by long shot. Bad news for the Arctic. Warming of the Arctic is dramatic, disruptive, and rapid. That's according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in its annual Arctic report card this week. Okay, that part is unqualified bad news. NOAA found sweeping changes are now underway across the Arctic. Rising air and water temperatures and melting sea ice caused by man-made global warming are directly threatening the Arctic marine ecosystem and the communities dependent on it. Warming is triggering a cascade of changes, like reducing the catch in the Bering Sea fishery, which provides almost half of the total fish and shellfish catch in the United States every year. The report also warns that the Arctic may have already crossed a key threshold. It notes melting of Arctic permafrost is accelerating and may have already become a net emitter of methane, a more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide on shorter timescales. That will eventually cause the region to become a carbon source, creating a feedback loop that triggers even more melting and even more warming. 
And it brings effects outside the Arctic. Two new studies this week warn that extreme weather patterns like heat waves and droughts are raising the risk of simultaneous failures of crops like wheat, corn and soybeans worldwide. The researchers found specific jet stream patterns increases the probability of extreme heat waves occurring simultaneously by as much as 20 times. That raises the risk that multiple bread baskets around the world could fail at the same time, triggering global food price spikes food shortages, and social unrest. Mm. Are we at the good news yet? Yes, finally. A little over one year ago, Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg began skipping school on Fridays to sit by herself with a handmade sign outside the Swedish parliament protesting her government's failure to act urgently to address the climate crisis. Since then, Thunberg's solo actions have sparked a global movement of young people launching truly massive school strikes for climate around the world. This week, Time magazine named Thunberg its youngest ever person of the year for, quote, creating a global attitudinal shift and for her moral clarion call for governments to enact change at the speed and scale required to avoid catastrophic climate impacts. Addressing the U.N. Climate Summit in Madrid this week, Thunberg noted that science shows the world is running out of time to act and excoriated corporations and rich countries for negotiating loopholes for themselves to continue profiting from business as usual. And she concluded by saying she also sees signs of hope. People are ready for change, and that is the hope because we have democracy. In fact, every great change throughout history has come from the people. We do not have to wait. We can start the change right now. We, the people. One person, one unelected person, one unelected school kid taking action has already changed the world. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. All it takes is one voice Singing so they hear what's on your mind And when you look around you'll find there's more than one voice Very cool. Yes. Person of the Year at age 16. What have you done lately, Desi Doyen? <laughs> we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Those uh, free downloads are made possible thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, particularly good time right now at the end of the year for you to consider doing that. Thank you in advance. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Just-